Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia are nothing if not generous to the right people. It's, and it's not even Christmas time. A wool robe lined with tiger fur. Wouldn't you like one of those? How about nine pairs of leather sandals and a pure silver dagger with a mother-of-pearl sheath? Well, you can have them if you ex- successfully run for the uh, presidency of the United States because those were some of just, just some of the gifts Saudi Arabia gave to <laughs> President Trump during his recent trip to Riyadh last May. Uh, the Daily Beast sent a Freedom of Information request to the State Department to find out what the Saudis gave to President Trump. A total of 83 gifts during his first state visit of the kingdom. Imagine we'll get next time he goes, you know, because they're more generous. To, maybe. The list also included an artwork of the president. Come on. Can we see that, please? Forget the, I don't need to see the, the dagger. A robe lined with cheetah fur because it's not enough to kill a tiger. you got to kill a cheetah, too. Multiple swords, daggers, leather ammunition holders and holsters. Traditional Saudi clothing and headscarves. Hello, Melania. You're looking mighty covered today. And a canvas painting of a Saudi woman. She's looking mighty covered today. Maybe. Maybe not. During that visit, Trump announced a $110 billion arms deal with the kingdom, which uh, some reports have suggested was, uh, see if you believe this, an inflated figure. Not talking about Melania now. December 2015 data released by the State Department's Office of the Chief of Protocol revealed Saudi Arabia accounted for 75% of the value of all official gifts given to the United States in the previous year. During that year, Saudi Arabia gave the U.S. gifts valued at $2,566,525 Thank you. Wow. They must really like us. And speaking of like, news of the godly and guess what they're removing in Australia. No, it's not a a, a statue of a confederate figure because they didn't have a confederacy yet. But it's a controversial plaque on St. Mary's Cathedral in Hobart, Tasmania, featuring, well, it's a plaque honoring a former Catholic priest convicted of sex offenses, is all. Victims of child abuse called for it to be taken down. It now will. The artwork dates from the 1980s. But that was another time. Attached to an external wall of the cathedral, it depicts the late Philip Green. He held the title of Monsignor. Apparently, that's not all he held. Oh, would you stop? In 2004, he pleaded guilty to indecently assaulting a former altar boy. And for his trouble was given, he was sentenced to a three-month suspended sentence. The wheels of justice, ladies and gentlemen, need some oil. Uh, The Archdiocese of Hobart said this week it had no immediate plans to remove the plaque, which also honors former Archbishop Sir Guilford Young. But... Tasmanian Catholic Archbishop Julian Porteous has since ordered it taken down. Former Catholic priest Julian Punch, who 
who said he was assaulted by Green as well, publicly had called for the removal of the plaque. In his book, quote, Gay with God, unquote, he welcomed the announcement, but said it should have been removed years ago. This is the way it should be, he said. Taking down a, a pedo plaque, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the program before, but I grew up in Southern California, and one of the curses of doing that is that the minute school was back in session at the end of summer, it would get fearsomely hot. The hottest month of the year is always the month when school's back in. That's just the way Southern California works because our school calendar was uh, devised for Midwestern farmers. And why change it? So now that I'm not in school anymore, I can celebrate the fact that it's hotter than ever. And hello, welcome to the show.
From Santa Monica, California, the edge of America, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now... I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, you. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. The miracles of microplastics, ladies and gentlemen. We continue to learn about them. Microplastic contamination has been found in tap water in countries around the world. So forget those bottles. Just just suck it from the tap. Uh, this has led to calls, that uh, discovery, from scientists for urgent research on the implications for health. It's got to be good for you, right? Scores of tap water samples from more than a dozen nations were analyzed by scientists for an investigation by Orb Media which shared the findings with the Guardian newspaper, 83% of the samples were contaminated with plastic fibers. Hey, we're number one. The U.S. had the highest contamination rate at 94%. USA! With plastic fibers found in tap water, sampled at sites including buildings of Congress, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's headquarters, and Trump Tower. Lebanon and India had the next highest rates. Well, we're kind of like them. European nations, including the U.K., Germany, and France, had the lowest contamination rate, still with 72%. The new analyses indicate the ubiquitous extent of microplastic contamination in the global environment. Previous work has largely been focused on plastic pollution in the oceans. We got that. People are eating microplastics via contaminated seafood. A separate small study in the Republic of Ireland released in June found microplastic contamination in a handful of tap water and well supplies. We don't know what the health impact of that. And for that reason, we should follow the precautionary principle, says uh, a researcher in Galway. She said there were two principal concerns, very small plastic particles and the chemicals or pathogens that microplastics can harbor. If the fibers are there, it's possible the nanoparticles are there, too, that we can't measure because they're nano. Once they're in the nanometer range, they can really penetrate a cell, and that means they can penetrate organs, and that would be worrying. The orb analyses caught particles of more than 2.5 microns in size. That's 2,500 times bigger than a nanometer. And here's good news. Microplastics can attract bacteria found in sewage. The researcher said some studies have shown there are more harmful pathogens on microplastics downstream of wastewater treatment plants. So those are doing well. Microplastics are also known to absorb and contain toxic chemicals, and research on wild animals show, shows that they are released in the body. The scale of global microplastic contamination is only starting to become clear, according to the Guardian st uh, st story. Studies in Germany have found fibers and fragments in all of the 24 beer brands they tested. Now we're getting serious, as well as in honey and sugar. Well, you can catch more beer with honey. In Paris in 2015, researchers discovered microplastic falling from the air, which they estimated deposits 3 to 10 tons of fibers on, on Paris each year. That's what makes the light so good. And it was also present in the air in people's homes. 
Frank Kelly, professor of environmental health at King's College London, told a parliamentary inquiry last year, if we breathe them in, they could potentially deliver chemicals to the lower parts of our lungs and maybe even across into our circulation. Kelly, having seen the new data, told The Guardian research is urgently needed to determine whether injecting, ingesting plastic particles is a health risk. Injecting? Probably. I'll bet. I, I'll say yes right now. How microplastics end up in drinking water is for now a mystery. The atmosphere is one obvious source with fiber, fiber shed by the everyday wear and tear of clothes and carpets. Tumble dryers, another potential source. Almost 80% of U.S. households have dryers that usually vent to the open air. What we observed in Paris, said the uh, researcher who did their studies, tends to demonstrate a huge amount of fibers are present in atmospheric fallout. Plastic fibers may also be flushed into water systems. A recent study found each cycle of a washing machine could release 700,000 fibers into the environment. Rain could also sweep up microplastic pollution, which would explain why the household wells used in Indonesia were contaminated. In Beirut, the water supply comes from natural springs. Ah, but 94% of the samples were contaminated. Current, no. No, I know what you're going to say. But the filters and the treatment plants, no. Current standard water treatment systems do not filter out all of the microplastics, according to the main researcher. There is nowhere really where you can say these are being trapped 100%. The diameter is 10 microns across. It would be very unusual to find that level of filtration in our drinking water systems. Bottled water may not provide a microplastic-free alternative. The Guardian reports they were found in a few samples of commercial the, fi the fibers were found in a few samples of commercial bottled water in the U.S., but it doesn't say whether it was, you know, Dasani and Aquafina, which are bottled tap water, purified tap water, or whether it was spring water being tested. And just to add to your water, you need a little salt. Okay, there's microplastics and sea salt. Yes, The Guardian reports that as well. Sea salt around the world has been contaminated by plastic pollution. New studies have shown that tiny particles have been found in sea salt in Britain, France, and Spain, as well as China, and, of course, the United States. We're number one in plastic contamination. Researchers believe the majority of the contamination comes from microfibers and single-use plastics, such as water bottles, items that comprise the majority of plastic waste. Up to 12.7 million tons of plastic enters the world's oceans every year. That's equivalent to dumping one garbage truck of plastic per minute into the world's oceans, according to the UN. Why do you say garbage truck? Why don't you just say truck? That, that makes it sound so... Not only are plastics pervasive in our society in terms of daily use, but they are pervasive in the environment, says a professor at SUNY Fredonia, State University of New York at Fredonia, who led the latest research into plastic contamination in salt. She collaborated with researchers at the University of Minnesota. Don't you know they did some of this research in Minnesota? To examine microplastics in salt, beer, and drinking water. She looked at 12 different kinds of salt, including 10 sea salts bought from U.S. grocery stores around the world. I didn't know U.S. had grocery stores around the world. I thought other countries had them in other countries. And on the subject of water, in case you're not convinced yet, as many as 63 million people, nearly a fifth of the United States, 
from rural central California. The boroughs of New York City were exposed to potentially unsafe water more than once during the past decade. That's according to a new uh, journalist, journalistic program called News 21 by two foundations, the Carnegie and Knight Foundations. They investigated 680,000 water quality and monitoring violations from the EPA. The findings highlight how six decades of industrial dumping, farming pollution, and water plant and distribution pipe deterioration have taken a toll on local water systems. Systems found to have problems cleaning their water typically took more than two years to fix the issues. Some only recently resolved decades-old violations of EPA standards. I blame the EPA. Others are still delivering tainted water, according to data from the EPA's Safe Drinking Water Information System. Many local water treatment plants, especially those in small, poor, and minority communities, can't afford the equipment necessary to filter out contaminants. These can include arsenic found naturally in rock, chemicals from factories and nitrates and fecal matter from farming. In addition, much of the country's aging distribution pipes delivering the water are susceptible to lead contamination Hello, Flint. Leaks, breaks, and bacterial growth. Aside from that, drink up. The EPA estimates local water systems will need to invest $384 billion in the coming decades to keep water clean. You know that's going to happen. Quote, we're in this really stupid situation where because of neglect of the infrastructure, we're spending our scarce resources on putting our fingers in the dike, if you will, taking care of these emergencies, but we're not doing anything to think about the future in terms of what we should be doing, says Jeffrey Griffiths, a former member of the Drinking Water Committee at the EPA's Science Advisory Board. Haven't we disbanded that yet? Just one word, ladies and gentlemen. Microplastics. Now, you may wonder where the next recession is going to start. And here's an interesting answer as we follow the dollar. We know the last recession started when um, banks were incentivized to give mortgages to subprime lenders and then uh, spread their risks around the world by securitizing those mortgages. Who could do better? How about Australia? The Australian mortgage market has ballooned due to banks issuing new loans against the unrealized capital gains of existing investment properties. That's creating a $1.7 trillion house of cards, according to a new report by economist Lindsay David. It argues that Australian banks' use of combined loan-to-value ratio, which is not common in other countries, makes it easy for investors to accumulate multiple properties in a relatively short period of time despite high house prices relative to income i.e., you can't afford this, the use of unrealized capital gain of one property to secure financing to purchase another property in Australia is extreme, according to the report. This approach allows lenders to report the cross-collateral security of one property, which is then used as collateral against the total loan size to purchase another property. This approach substitutes as a cash deposit. This has exacerbated risks in the housing market as little to no cash is used. This is from news.com.au. The report describes the system as a, quote, classic mortgage Ponzi finance model, unquote, with newly purchased properties generating net 
rental income losses adversely impacting upon cash flows. Profitability is therefore predicated upon ever-rising housing prices. Where have we heard that before? When house prices have fallen in a local market, many borrowers were unable to service the principal on their mortgages when the interest-only period expired or unable to roll over. The uh, economist argues while international money markets have until now provided remarkably affordable funding, enable Aussie banks to issue large and risky loans, there's a growing risk the wholesale lending community will walk away from the Australian banking system. Quote, many international wholesale lenders may find out the hard way they've invested into nothing more than a $1.7 trillion pee-in-a-fancy-bottle scam. Those are the words of the report. The report largely blames Australia's financial regulators. I guess because they're being too strict. Follow, yeah, 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 they use the dollar. They use their dollar. Follow the Aussie dollar to find out where the next, our next recession is coming from. Won't it be fun? And now. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Pyongyang, Pyong, sorry, Pyongyang 2018 President Lee Hee-byung promises they're going to continue to stage various promotional activities in an attempt to achieve the ticket sales target of 280,000 for next year's, next year's Winter Paralympic Games. Tickets for the Games, due to play, place in March, officially went on sale in South Korea last month. Concerns about the amount that have purchased have been purchased, will be heightened. It was revealed last week only 22% of tickets available for the Winter Olympic Games have so far been bought. That figure is thought to mark the lowest in recent Winter Olympic history at this stage of preparations, if you can call them that. Only 4.85% have been sold in South Korea, even though it was forecast that the host nation would account for 70% of the overall total. Despite the disappointing Olympic sales, Lee insists the aim of selling close to all the tickets for the Paralympics still stands. At least the aim is standing. Meanwhile, in California, who's going to pony up the money if the Olympics in Los Angeles go over budget? Well, the taxpayer, of course. State lawmakers will provide up to $270 million in guarantees under legislation unveiled last week should the L.A. Olympic thing go over budget. The measure fulfills a promise from Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon and the Senate President Pro Tem Kevin DeLeon, both of the L.A. area, to give state support for the Olympic bid. Hope you're ha- hope you're, Hey, come on down, Sacramento. See what your money bought. Come on down, Fresno. Cost concerns were the major worry when the L.A. City Council approved the 2028 bid last month. The 2028 Games are expected to clock in at about $5.3 billion. Organizers believe corporate sponsorships, ticket sales, and other revenue sources. What would those be? Oh, I guess mascot sales uh, could cover expenses, but city officials and bid organizers had asked the state to step in if the Olympics have a budget shortfall, you know, like the governments are asked to do everywhere else in the world. Why should we be any different? 
Last year, state lawmakers overwhelmingly approved a similar measure, but it covered only a potential 2024 Olympic bid. So rather than just X the four out and put an eight there, they have to have new legislation. L.A. agreed to host the 2028 Games as part of a deal that gave the 2024 Games to Paris. Let the French government bail that one out. Bailout? Come on. It's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And now as it continues to be um, hot here in Southern California, and I don't know what it's like in the rest of it. It's still very warm in New Orleans as well. Some news, just one item of news of the warm. The Earth's changing climate could cause the extinction of up to a third of this planet's parasite species by 2070. Isn't that a good thing? This is according to a global analysis reported in the journal Science Advances. I read Science Retreats for the obvious reasons. Parasite loss could dramatically disrupt ecosystems. That's why it's not a good thing, apparently. And the new study suggests that they are one of the most threatened groups of life on Earth. Besides trombone players. Parasites have an admittedly bad reputation, says uh, Science Advances. The diverse group of organisms includes tapeworms, roundworms, ticks, lice, fleas, and other pests. But parasites play important roles in ecosystems. They help control wildlife populations and keep energy flowing through food chains. Because many parasites have complex life cycles that involve passing through different host species, parasite diversity can be considered a sign of a healthy ecosystem. The curator says the curator of the parasite collection at the Smithsonian. Come on, kids. What do you, Kids, come on. Let's go see the... Pa- Having parasites is a good indicator that the ecosystem has been stable, she says. It means the system has a diversity of animals in it and that conditions have been consistent long enough for these complex associations to develop. Parasites have drawn less attention from conservation biologists than more charismatic creatures. You think? Until now, they've largely been left out of studies of climate change and its impacts, says the lead author of the study, who then turn to museum collections since it's hard to hard to uh, really do testing on parasites in the wild apparently the US National Parasite Collection an expansive set of worms fleas lice and other parasites provide provides a broad and deep record of different species occurrences around the world the still growing collection began in 1892 and now contains millions of organisms Records from that collection were combined with additional information from specialized databases, cataloging ticks, fleas, feather mites, and bee mites to enable enable a comprehensive global analysis. So the analysis determined that parasites are even more threatened than the animal hosts they rely on. The most catastrophic model predicted that more than a third of them would be lost by 2070. The most optimistic models, a loss of about 10%. Slowing climate change has a really profound impact on extinction rates, but even in the best-case scenario, we're still looking at fairly major global changes, says the lead researcher. Parasites need to be included in conversations about conservation. The study highlights their delicate position in complex ecosystems, say the scientists. They are certainly as threatened as any other animal group. 
says the researcher. Except trombone players. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. From Southern California, this is Le Show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to read the trades for you. This is from uh, Aviation Week, as republished in uh, the British tech journal, The Register, because Aviation Week has a paywall. The Register got through it. And I didn't. F-35 firmware Apaches patches to be rolled out like iPhone updates is the headline 
And that's the reason. I'll read it for you. Initial software development for the F-35 fighter jet, which is, as you may know, shrouded in controversy about the various problems they've had with it, including faulty ejector seats. That uh, software development is coming to an end. Future tweaks to the aircraft's onboard systems will be rolled out like smartphone app updates. Quote, Envision a little window that pops up and says, Your latest electro-optical distributed aperture system software update is ready for download, yes or no? That's what Vice Admiral Matt Winter of the U.S. Navy told Aviation Week. That appears to be the future of the F-35's core firmware. The current ver version is due to be superseded by Block 3F. Once development on the latest version is completed, the projected date for which is a bone of contention between the Air Force and various American government auditors. Aviation Week has been reporting in depth on the American deployment plans for the F-35. The magazine notes a much-trumpeted release of Block 3F earlier this month is actually an interim version pending final patches, but will bring it up to full release spec. The testing completed completion date is now slipped to June 2018. Even with the final version of 3F, the Air Force will not be able to use the newest aircraft in combat. Aviation re reports. This applies equally to the F-35Bs bought by the UK as it does to the ones bought by the US Air Force. The plan is for a future version, Block 4, to be the first combat-capable version. So if you're going to attack the United States, can you wait till we got the, up the software update completed, guys? Thank you. Plans to deploy new patches in the same manner as users download iPhone updates could potentially lead to a state where different aircraft are in different revision states, causing confusion later on. But that's better than confusion now, isn't it? Wait, now I'm... By the very nature of the ongoing trials, there will inevitably be a large number of changes needed before the final version of Block 3F, and then Block 4 can be released. So don't, don't go looking to dogfight and no F-35 soon. If ever. Conclusion I reach... Reluctantly. When I read the trades for you, copyrighted feature. What little uh, attention the news media were paying to anything other than the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey and the onset of Hurricane Irma was devoted in large part to the continued goings-on in Washington. And some surprising news this week. Uh, as President Trump met with congressional leaders midweek, supposedly to work out the strategy for um, how to get a uh, Hurricane Harvey compensation bill through Congress quickly and how to take care of the pending need to raise the debt limit once more. This was a, a requirement that Congress put in some years ago under the uh, impression that was held by conservatives that if uh, Congress had to vote every time the debt limit had to be raised— then um, there was an opportunity every time to try to get some um, expenditure cuts in compensation for that. And that was going to be the Republican strategy this time around, along with a desire to get the, uh, the debt limit raised for a significant amount of time so that they didn't have to vote again on it any closer to the midterm election when conservative voters and primaries might be aroused by the fact that they're 
incumbent Republican congressman voted to raise the debt limit again. The Democrats made a deal with President Trump at that meeting. Widely reported to be an impulsive deal, one that he made because he saw he could make a deal. After experiencing and expressing disappointment at the performance of Republican congressional leaders Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, the failure to uh, pass a repeal and replace Obamacare bill, chief among the sources of his displeasure, he made a deal with, uh, as he called them, Chuck and Nancy, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, leaders of the Democrats in the Senate and House, respectively, to have only a three-month debt limit raise and a uh, a Harvey compensation bill passed, which the Congress quickly passed. The president is widely reported to be, as I mentioned, very displeased with Mitch McConnell and uh, Paul Ryan. And the other piece of reporting that, that caught my eye this week was that uh, General John Kelly, the, the President Trump's new chief of staff, has apparently succeeded in at least uh, bringing some order to the White House. He brought in a new number two whose job is to be the person everybody hates, the one who says, no, you can't see him. No, you can't go in. She has uh, so far been able to keep Omarosa from walking in uninvited to uh, meetings in the uh, West Wing. And uh, General Kelly has apparently assumed control of all the incoming phone calls to the president, so the president president can no longer have uh, unscheduled conversations with uh, his friends on the outside uh, to give him information and advice. There's a shorter version of all this. This week, for the first time, a pivot for the ages. And for the businessman turned chief executive, a chance to give the losing team a surprising win. Chuck, Nancy, welcome back. Well, the Boyd room looks great. Uh, Better than the one at J.P. Morgan Chase. I wouldn't know. Chuck would. (laughs) (laughs) You two made an excellent deal with me. Listen. When an opportunity arises to do something for our country while ramming a rusty bayonet up the posteriors of our Republican friends, you just got to take it. That's him talking New York again. Oh, I know. I love New York talk. It reminds me of New York. So look, your team is doing good. We are getting some flack from our friends in the so-called resistance. Ah, But look at the coverage. Great coverage. The best coverage. Even Morning Joe loves this. I I do think Rachel Maddow is planning to do a whole show attacking us. Eh, you know what her problem is. Mm -hmm. She's probably just not getting enough rug. (laughs) Nancy, don't look at me like that. Chuck will explain to you later. Now look, your team has a big task this week. Maybe the biggest ever. Nancy, you think Chuck is up to it? (laughs) I certainly do. He told me he thinks you're a tough old grandma. I'll take it. I, I didn't really say... So here's say. the deal. All the fake news think I'm now tilting your way. Like I've given up on Paul and Mitch, which, by the way, I have, believe me. And my base thinks I gave you something for nothing, which I did, Nancy, with that tweet, which I loved. Yeah. So now, I need your team to cave on something. Maybe even something big. Can you do it? 
Mr. President, we're not in the business of caving. We're Democrats. How about getting rid of the uh, consumer financial regulator thing? Well, certainly we could uh, craft a position which takes into account the changing realities of the financial world since the recent hurricanes. Something like that. No guarantee we could sell that to all of our members. You know, I've always found that guarantees are for losers. So, what do you think? Is Team Chuck and Nancy up to the task? Oh, we're up to it all right. But I found that promises are for losers, too. So, Donald. Rupert, you got through. I need to get through more often. (laughs) Ever since General Kelly set up shop, it's harder to get through to you than to get an antitrust exemption in Britain. Hey, you and the general shouldn't fight. (laughs) You're two of my favorite kinds of people, military and rich. Now, listen... Your task this week should be an easy one. Look, I'm not complaining. A lot of your other friends don't have staff who can hack the White House switchboard. That's your task. hmm? I know that Levitt and Icon and my other guys are getting blocked by Kelly. But they can talk to you, and you can get through to me. That's your task. Be the, uh, you know, the the, the go-between, the uh, Mm -hmm. transmission belt for other people's ideas. That's asking a lot from someone in my line of work. Look, you don't have to take it on. You can disappoint me and still be on my team. You can be like Gary Cohn. Or you can really be on my team. You can be like Roy Cohn. Uh, You know, the news channel's behind you. You're aware of that. And I'm aware your ratings are good. They'd be in the toilet otherwise. What do you think would happen if I tweeted I didn't watch Fox and Friends anymore? You'd be paying Steve Doocy to talk to himself. I'll make you a deal. I'll be a conduit for your friends. But you've got to convince General Kelly to let Hannity back in once in a while. He doesn't have to see you or anything, just so he can say he's been at the White House. He's been so morose. I don't like deals, Rupert, I can tell you that. Mm. But if you can succeed in your task, I might just make an exception. Mitch. Mr. President, no hard feelings. Speak for yourself. Thanks for not bringing Paul. Uh, He's hard at work on a new health care bill. Good. Never too late. Except now. So look, Mitch. You know, your team let us down. Interesting you should say that, Mr. President. We feel the same way. You think your team let you down? No, I meant... Whatever. Look, you know I think you're low energy, right? Well, I happen to hail from the part of the country where we take our time letting folks know what's on our mind. Great, I'm sleeping already. Meanwhile, my poll numbers are sagging worse than Dolly Parton's bra. So look, your team has a big task this week. Well, sir, we're facing some pretty stiff headwinds since that deal you made with the Democrats. Good. So get your people together and send me something I can sign. About about what in particular? About signing in particular. About winning. You're the senator. You figure out what it's about. Can you do it? Because I don't like firing people. And you can't fire me. Right. So? I'll talk to Paul. That's what I was afraid of. Get out of here. And slow. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We're going to make pivoting great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. 
the Presidentis. This week, reality was never this improvised. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Who would have thunk it? We're so sorry. Gigi Hadid. Teen Vogue calls her a supermodel. She's reportedly issued a formal apology for a viral video in which she was squinting her eyes to mimic a cookie depicting the face of the Buddha, a move that many on social media interpreted as racist toward Asian people. Everybody, all these people have too much time on their hands. The supermodel, there you go, posted her to her page on the Chinese media site Weibo, Weibo over the weekend, stating that it hurts her to know that, to hurt anyone and that she wants all of her fans to know it was never her intent to offend anyone through her actions. This all follows intense Chinese social media backlash after Gigi confirmed she would be walking in the Victoria's Secret fashion show. Well, that makes you a supermodel, I guess, which is being held in Shanghai this year. Chinese flooded her Instagram with negative comments, telling her she's not welcome and I used to like you so much. So she released this statement in both English and Mandarin, but only in Weibo, which is accessible only in China, rather than to Instagram and Twitter. So others think the post is lacking sincerity. Oh, the travails of being a supermodel. I wouldn't know. The Irish government has apologized after a portrait of Che Guevara was featured as a part of an exhibit at Miami International Airport, good choice, portraying the most famous Irish people in Latin America. The exhibit of huge murals was to celebrate direct flights to Ireland from Miami. The Irish embassy said the Che poster was not supposed to be included in the exhibit. It was removed as soon as we discovered the error, said the communications director. We understand the sensitivity and deeply regret the error. The Che image was the famous one, created in 1968 by the Irish artist Jim Fitzpatrick. The poster was not even in the airport for 12 hours. The Miami mayor's office said it deeply regrets the incident. Guevara's Irish ancestry comes from his paternal grandmother. He visited Ireland on one occasion and traced his Irish roots. Oh. A university that during a student orientation session showed a slide that appeared to suggest masturbation as a deterrent to sexual assault has apologized. The Rochester Institute of Technology slide featured the Winnie, Pooh, Winnie the Pooh character, Rue, using the kangaroo character's name as an acronym about masturbation. A screenshot of the slide was shared via social media and includes self, included closed captioning at the bottom that read, Self-gratification could prevent sexual assault. Rue was short for rub one out. Critics said the slide made light of rape and, of mastur oh, and blasted the idea that masturbation could curb someone's urge to commit sexual assault. University officials said the screenshot was taken out of context and the discussion addressed options available should a potential sexual partner withdraw consent. At no point did we say masturbation is a deterrent to rape, said the director of RIT Center of Women and Gender. We were talking about situations in which someone may want to do something sexually and their partner withdraws consent and what options they have if they find themselves sexually frustrated, which they leave. The statement was followed several days later by an apology from RIT President David Munson to anyone who was offended by the slide. Since the Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers were hit with a $500,000 fine for tampering with Paul George, a player on another team, President of Basketball Operations Magic Johnson said he has given the matter a little thought, except for one thing, he doesn't want his close friend and boss to bear the burden of the fine. It's under my watch. I apologize to Jeannie Buss, the owner of the Lakers, and that was the main thing. I told her she could take it out of my salary because I don't want the Lakers to be paying that fine. 
So Patrick has apologized. I don't know whether you know this or not, but Hillary Clinton is coming out with a book this week. What happened? That, that is the name of the book. What happened? Uh, she has said that the email her spiritual advisor, the Reverend Bill Shalady, sent her on the morning after she lost the presidential election, helped her heal from her defeat. It wasn't until months later when Shalady published that email in a book that it came to light that he had plagiarized the words that so moved Hillary Clinton. Now, less than a month after the book's publication, the publishing house that printed it says it is pulling the book off the shelves because it's riddled with plagiarism. Abingdon Press initiated an extensive review of the book and was alarmed to discover other content unattributed by the author. Abingdon Press has zero tolerance for plagiarism, said the president of the publishing company. Consequently, we have discontinued sales. Discontinued sales will remove existing copies from all sales outlets and will have them destroyed along with our existing inventory. Come to the fire. Stay for the food. Shalady did not respond to a Washington Post reporter's call, but he sent an email statement. I deeply regret my actions. I was wrong and there was no excuse for it. I apologize to those whose work I mistakenly did not attribute. I apologize to those I have disappointed, including Secretary Hillary Clinton, Abingdon Press, and all the writers and others who have helped me publish and promote this book. I ask for everyone's forgiveness. His book is called Strong for a Moment Like This. It's compiled of the it's comprised of the emails that he and other pastors sent to Clinton every morning of her campaign. She read the morning emails, which contained a biblical passage, a short sermon, and a prayer throughout her campaign. What happened? Louise Linton, the wife of Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, has apologized for her widely condemned Instagram post last month in which she mocked an Oregon woman's lifestyle and boasted about her wealth. A photo Linton posted to Instagram, which showed her disembarking from an Air Force jet with her husband during a day trip to Kentucky, received critical comments in response to one commenter who wrote, quote, glad we could pay for your little getaway, hashtag deplorable. Linton unleashed a long rebuke. Aw, did you think this was a personal trip? Adorable. Do you think the U.S. government paid for our honeymoon or personal travel? LOL, LOL, Have you given more to the economy than me and my husband, either as an individual earner in taxes or in self-sacrifice to your country, unquote? Linton, who married Mnuchin in a June ceremony this year, attended by the president and officiated by the vice president, that's what he's there for, went on to call the woman, quote, adorably out of touch, and her children and life, quote, cute, unquote. In an interview and photo spread with Washington Life, published this week, Linton, posing in ball gowns, apologized for the comment and photo, calling her response indefensible and not reflective of her values. Quote, I concede completely to the comments of my critics. My post itself and the following response was were indefensible, period. I don't have any excuses, nor do I feel any self-pity for the backlash I experienced. I sincerely take ownership of my mistake. It's clear that I was the one who was truly out of touch, and my response was reactionary and condescending. I wish I hadn't spoken in such a patronizing tone. It was an out-of-character, knee-jerk reaction, and I felt so awful about it that I removed it. She added her husband's government work did not, in fact, qualify as sacrifice. Wow. The healing power of ball gowns. Deadline Kabul, a senior U.S. commander in Afghanistan, apologized this week for a highly offensive propaganda leaflet which contained a passage from the Quran used in the Taliban militant's banner superimposed onto the image of a dog. 
The dog is considered unclean in Islam, and associating an image of the animal with one of the religion's sacred texts prompted indignation. The image was distributed by U.S. forces in Parwan province, north of Kabul. It showed a white dog with a section of the Taliban's banner superimposed on its side, fleeing from the lion. The banner contains a passage from the Koran in Arabic. Quote, the design of the leaflets mistakenly contained an image highly offensive to both Muslims and the religion of Islam said Major General James Linder. I sincerely apologize, he continued. We have the deepest respect for Islam and our Muslim partners worldwide. He said an investigation would be held to determine the cause of this incident and to hold the responsible party accountable. Parwan Governor Mohammed Hassam condemned the leaflet as unforgivable. Those who have committed this unforgivable mistake in the publicity, propaganda, or media section of the coalition forces will be tried and punished, he said. Unlike the American officials who authorized torture. Deadline Mexico City, the NFL has apologized for an unacceptable tweet with three smiley emojis that likened the Kansas City Chiefs' big victory over the New England Patriots to the deadly earthquake that shook Mexico. The tweet came from the league's official NFL Mexico account after the Chiefs, Chiefs upset the Super Bowl champions in the season opener Thursday night. The game ended about a half hour before the earthquake, which killed at least 32 people and had a magnitude of 8.1. The tweet said, when Mexico City shakes with an earthquake because it can't believe the Chiefs won the kickoff 2017 game. The since-deleted tweet, or detweeted leet, received wide criticism. The NFL Mexico account apologized for the unacceptable tweet from yesterday, which doesn't reflect the league's values. We reiterate our solidarity with Mexico. Maybe it's time for the NFL to just publish a list of its values. That would be nice. And sports apologies continued. Part 2 the Atlanta Braves issued an apology after they played the song Rock You Like a Hurricane in between innings of their game against the Miami Marlins. Hurricane Irma, as you know, is heading for Miami. The Braves said Rock You Like a Hurricane is part of their regular playlist, but admitted the song should have been pulled for the series against the Miami team. When a statue in New York of a famous surgeon known to have committed medical atrocities was vandalized with the word racist last month, the scientific journal Nature jumped to join the debate over America's controversial monuments. It didn't go well. Monday, Nature published an editorial entitled Removing Statues of Historical Figures Risks Whitewashing History. It argued that public monuments of people with questionable records on human rights should be left in place, lest the country lose sight of the lessons they offered. But after a wave of outrage online, much of it from the scientific community, Nature revised parts of its editorial and apologized for the offensive and poorly worded article. Un uh, quote, it did not accurately convey our intended message, and it suggested that nature is defending statues of scientists who have done grave injustice to minorities and other people, according to an editor's note. Nature's editorial was prompted in part by recent attacks on the late J. Marion Sims, the father of gynecology, who was known to have performed surgical, ex surgical experiments on enslaved black women without anesthesia. In at least one case, apparently, nature doesn't bat last. The, and the uh, chief executive of Equifax, Equifax apologized, but I'm going to have to sign a uh, an arbitration agreement to read it to you. So the apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. You send 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.49 megahertz shortwave. It's not a number station. On the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on the Mighty Soho Radio in London, around the world via the Internet. Don't be scared of it. Well, yeah, be scared of it. At two different locations, live and archive whenever you want at harryshear.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and WWNO.org. And it would be just like KCSN doubling or tripling its signal strength and listenership. Oh, that happened. If you would agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program or podcast or thing, a playlist of the music you heard on this thing, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for your thing, all at harryshearer.com. And I remain steadfastly on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>